every family, it seems like, has their own language, so to speak, their own set of phrases and words that are unique to them. You know what I'm talking about? You know, where you're talking about something and if somebody overheard you, they'd have no idea what you're talking about. It's a little bit embarrassing to teach you this word, but I'm going to teach you a new word this morning. It's lapatudius. Now, that's not a Hebrew word or Aramaic word or a Greek word. It's a McAdams word. So when I was growing up, that was a word we said at my house. When something was delicious, we didn't say delicious. We said lapatudius. And I don't know what it means or where it came from, but that's what we said. That was our family's word. I just assumed everybody knew that word. And so when I was in kindergarten and a teacher gave us our grand crackers and our chocolate milk and she asked me how it was I said it's lapatudius and she looked at me like she had no idea what I was talking about and I looked at her and I thought I can't believe they let you teach kindergarten when you don't know words that's a perfectly legitimate word We all have those kind of words and phrases, language so to speak that our family has so let's think about that for a second In your home, what's the language sound like? What are the conversations like in your home? What are the words and the phrases that are repeated every day? Maybe you feel like they're probably repeated every hour. Maybe it's, I love you. Maybe it's, stop that. Don't do that. I'm so tired of that. You've got little kids like me. I feel like I'm always saying, be careful. Don't get on that. Stay away from that. Some of the things that we say, we not only say these words and these phrases over and over and over again, but there's a conversation that revolves around those words and those phrases. What I want us to do is to stop and realize this morning how important it is to be intentional about those everyday conversations. Be intentional about the things that we are repeating because our families are shaped by our everyday conversations. Our families are shaped by our everyday conversations. Maybe some of the conversations in our homes are not too healthy. Maybe the conversations in our homes are negative and toxic. In that case... The everyday conversations in our home are shaping our families. Maybe they're not toxic. Maybe they're not negative, but they're simply not spiritual. In that case, the everyday conversations in our home are shaping our families. So this morning we want to ask, as people that are God's new covenant people. That's who we are, isn't it? We're followers of Jesus, the Messiah, the King, and we have been added to the family of God. We've been made, John chapter 1, to be children of God. John says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, look at the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. So as God's covenant people that that have individual homes and families, what should the conversation sound like in our homes? What should the conversations, the everyday, ordinary, day in, day out conversations in our homes sound like? 
And I think Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we've been going through the last few weeks will help us to answer that question. What should the conversations in our home sound like? So if you're not familiar with Deuteronomy, you haven't been here for our series, or you're just not familiar with that book, it's a sermon that Moses is preaching to the people of Israel right before they go into the promised land, reminding them, this is who we are as a people This is what God's covenant is all about, and this is how you keep God's covenant. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 begins this way that we've read multiple times this month. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So a few weeks ago, we asked ourselves, who is the Lord of our Home. If we are going to be God's covenant people, then God has to be our Lord, not just when we're here, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but the Lord has to be God of our home, or God has to be the Lord of our home. So, is the triune God of heaven, who has revealed himself in Scripture, and revealed himself in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, is that God the Lord of your home. The next verse, verse 5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that is your, your being, your existence, and all your might, that is all of your strength. So we ask ourselves, who is the Lord of your home? And then we ask, what is the love of your home? What's the love of your home? What's the passion of your home? What do you really love? Do you love? In your home, the Lord, your God, is your love for Him a love that supersedes, surpasses, and trumps every other love, every other passion, every other desire in your life? And verse 6 says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So we ask ourselves, who's the Lord of your home? What's the love of your home? And then we asked last week, what's the law in your home? Do you, in your home, do you set the rules, the standard of conduct, according to what's right in your eyes? Or do we, in all of our homes, set the standard of conduct and say, this is how we're going to live according to what is right and good in the sight of the Lord? Do we allow God's commandments to shape the law in our home? Verse 7 this morning I want to dig into, says this, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, you're probably familiar with how the Jews have over the years interpreted this and applied this very literally in tying little phylacteries, little boxes with scripture in them to their hands and to their heads and literally write them on the doorpost. And I don't suppose there's anything wrong with that. But hopefully when we look at this in context, we all understand that what Moses was saying to God's ancient Israel covenant people was to say to them, listen, as we go into this promised land and we live as God's covenant people, God's commandments, God's law, God's covenant with us, Scripture has to be a part of everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have. 
God's law, scripture, must be a part of everything. It's got to be a part of our house. It's got to be a part of our farming. It's got to be a part of our civil law. It's got to be a part of our relationship with our spouse and with our children. We've got to be talking about it when we sit in our house, when we walk along the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up. In other words, when we stay, when we go, when we start a new day, and when we end a day, every part of our life has to be consumed with who we are as God's covenant people. So this morning, I want to ask about the language of our home. So if we talked about who's the Lord of our home and what's the love of our home, what's the law in our home, and then this morning, what is the language in our home? Look again at verse 7, at that phrase that in the English standard it says, teach them diligently. Teach them diligently. There should be a slide that just says that. Teach them diligently. Think about that phrase for just a second. In the Hebrew, the word is shanan. Shanan. So you don't just learn Lapitudius, you get to learn a Hebrew word. Shanan. It means to teach them diligently, but literally, it means to sharpen. Uh, think about how you sharpen something for just a second. Think about how if you're going to sharpen a, a, a stick, you take the end of the stick and you may take a knife and you kind of shave off over and over and over again. You kind of twist that stick in your hand and you keep rubbing that blade along the end of the stick and you, you sharpen it into a point. Or if you're going to wet a blade, if you're going to sharpen a blade, you rub it on a wet stone, right? And you, you keep rubbing it intentionally, repeatedly, over and over and over and over again until it is sharpened. And think about the word picture there that Moses is telling God's covenant people. You've got to not only write this law, these commandments on your heart, but I want you to sharpen your children with these commandments. That's neat, isn't it? Sharpen your children with these commandments. Repeat them over and over and over and over again until they are sharpened by them. And Moses even describes what that looks like. So he says, sharpen them with these commandments or teach them diligently to your children when you sit in your house and talk of these commandments when you walk by the way. And talk of these commandments when you lie down. And talk of these commandments when you rise. Don't you suppose that when the Apostle Paul, who again was a a Jew, raised in a Jewish household, understanding all of this that had been written before him, and then understanding how Jesus fulfills all of these things, and fulfills this first covenant, and establishes a, as the Hebrew Hebrew writer writes it, a new and better covenant in the blood of Jesus. And then Paul says to the new covenant people, the church, he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Don't you suppose that that's exactly what this means? Teach your children diligently. Or in other words, shanon, sharpen your children with the commandments of God. Sharpen your children with God's will. Sharpen your children with Scripture. Repeat them over and over and over and over again until they are sharpened by them. Now, listen, 
we understand, don't we? I, I hope we understand that, that God knew and we as God's covenant people know that you can't guarantee the outcome of sharpening your children, can you? I wish we could. I really do as a parent that wants his children to grow up to be a part of God's covenant people. I can't guarantee that outcome. I can't guarantee that someday my children will see the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Jesus and say, I want to be with him forever. I can't guarantee that. But what I can guarantee is this. What Joshua said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I can guarantee that I give them a million reasons to follow Jesus. I can guarantee that I teach God's word to my children diligently, that I shanon, that I sharpen them with scripture. Uh, let's think through what that would look like in, in an ancient Israelite home. Well, what did God expect? I mean, he's, he's telling them through Moses, this is how I want you to live every single day, your everyday language that's going to shape your children for generations to come. I want your everyday language to be scripture rich. I want you to be talking of my commandments all day long, from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. If you're working or you're sitting or you're walking, whatever you're doing, be talking about Scripture. What would that look like? So I just pulled a pretty random uh, commandment from the, the sermon in Deuteronomy. Look at chapter 25 and verse 1. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 1. So let's just kind of think about this. If Moses is saying to the Israelites, listen, from generation to generation, talk about this stuff, all of it, from the time you start your day to the time you end your day, whether you're walking or you're working or you're sitting, whatever you're doing, the, the, from the doorpost of your house to your very hands and your very head, your, your very heart, everything, be so enriched by, saturated with, God's commandments that you, you just can't help talking about these things. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 1. If there's a dispute between men and they come into court and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. So this is a part of Israel's civil law, right? It's the way their towns and their, their tribal arrangements were, that the nation was arranged this way. Part of the law there, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. So there's two parties. And they, they say, well, this guy did this. And the other guy said, no, no, he did that. And it was his fault. And the other one says, no, it was his fault. And they come to court. And, and the judge decides which one is innocent and which one is guilty. It says in verse 2, if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence, in the judge's presence, with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense. Forty stripes may be given him, but not more. Lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. You think uh, an Israelite father and his Israelite son should talk about that commandment when they're working in the field? I do. I, I think they should talk about that over the, the breakfast table or, or the dinner table. And what, what would that conversation sound like if here this father and son are saying, okay, son, here's part of the law that God has made a part of his covenant with us. That if, if two of us are fighting and we go to the judge and then one of us is wrong and we've committed a crime 
and the crime deserves to have lashes given to the guilty person, then this is how it's to be carried out. Son, what do you think about that? What does that tell us about God and being a part of God's covenant people? The son might think for a second and might say something like, you know, I guess that means that there are times when a person needs to be punished when they've done something wrong. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Do a father and son need to have that conversation? That we're all accountable to God and that sometimes if someone is a, is a criminal and does something wrong, then they need to be punished for their crimes? Yeah, I think that's an important conversation for a father and son to have. And then they might go on to say, well, what about this deal with the 40 lashes? He can't be beaten more than 40 times. And of course, the, the Jews interpret that and applied that. They said, well, we'll give 39 so that we make sure we don't go over the 40. So a father and son might talk about that. Why? Why did God put it this way? Why did God give us this commandment? Well, it says there at the end of the verse 3 that your brother may not be degraded in your sight. So the father might ask the son, how, how do you think it would feel to be that guilty man and have to be laid out in front of the judge and be beaten? And the son would say, well, I'm sure it would hurt. Yeah, I'm sure, son, it would hurt. How else would it feel? Well, well I'm sure you'd probably be ashamed. You'd be embarrassed. You'd be humiliated in front of your, your fellow citizens. It'd be an embarrassing, shameful thing, wouldn't it? And, and so the father and the son might go on to talk about how God doesn't just care about the innocent party. And, and he doesn't just care about punishing the guilty party. Isn't this amazing that right here in the midst of this commandment about crime and punishment, God includes his care and his concern for the guilty party? that they may not be utterly humiliated in front of their brothers and sisters of Israel. That when he gets up, that man is going to have to go and he's going to have to raise his children. And he's going to have to go and he's going to be an employer and he has employees under him. And so that father and son need to talk about how when a punishment is carried out, it's done and it's finished. God doesn't want them perpetually living in shame and embarrassment. That God cares about the innocent and he cares about the guilty. He cares that punishment is carried out, but that it's not carried too far. Do you suppose that that's an important conversation for an ancient Israelite man to be having with his Israelite son that's going to continue to shape and formulate his thinking that when he deals with people and when someone wrongs him and when somebody else is guilty, that he doesn't carry the punishment too far? And that he says, if God is concerned, not just for the innocent, but God is also concerned for the guilty, and God doesn't want someone to be degraded in the sight of all of his countrymen, then I shouldn't degrade him in the sight of all of his countrymen. Then I shouldn't humiliate him and shame him beyond what's appropriate. And so the punishment should fit the crime, and it should go no further. Would that have helped that young man to shape and formulate how he thought about crime and punishment, and justice? Would it help him to understand what it is to have mercy, and to forgive, and to, to go on? You see, so many of the laws of Israel had to do with not taking punishment too far. And I can think of times in Israel Israel's history when they did take it too far. Why? Because their dads didn't have conversations with them like this. Because their dads didn't talk with them from the time they got up to the time they went to bed. 
The dads didn't talk to them when they walked along the way and when they sat in their home about the commandments of God. Their minds and hearts weren't shaped by Scripture-rich conversation. And so in generations to come, there came Israelites who didn't know God and didn't know the covenant that they were supposed to be keeping with God. So then that makes me think about us and our home and the covenant that we have with God and how incredibly important, how paramount it is that you and I as parents or maybe grandparents or aunts and uncles be having these kinds of everyday conversations that are filled and shaped by Scripture so that we are impressing it upon our future generations what it looks like to be the covenant people of God. That we talk of God's commandments from the time we lie down, we rise up, when we walk along the way, and when we sit in our home, that we write them on our hands and on our foreheads, that we put them on our door frames, that we are all about God's commandments. Again, it's easy to do if you're a parent, but maybe there's some of us that, that aren't parents but are grandparents, and maybe your grandkids are getting this type of Scripture-rich conversation in their homes And then when they come over to your home, you can supplement and reinforce that type of scriptural training, that shanan, that that sharpening that's supposed to be going on. You can reinforce that in your home when they come to your home, but maybe your grandparent and your grandchildren aren't getting it in their home. And you are their one opportunity to be sharpened by Scripture. Maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, same situation. And maybe your nieces and nephews are getting it at home. Maybe they're getting that scripture-rich conversation. And maybe they're not. Maybe it's neighbor kids. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's just yourself. We have conversations with ourselves, don't we? Am I the only one that talks to myself? We, we, We talk to ourselves in our mind, if not out loud sometimes, don't we? Even those types of conversations are shaping our families. They're shaping us. They're shaping everyone with whom we come into contact. And they have to be shaped by Scripture, filled with Scripture. You know, I don't like to focus too much on things like statistics and research because I want God's Word to shape us as a people, don't you? I think that we should be able to look at Deuteronomy 6 and we can say if this is what God expected of His Old Covenant people and this New Covenant people are told to bring up our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, then this is the kind of life that we should have. And so I don't want to lean too much on research because if Scripture doesn't convince us, then I don't know that research ought to. But I I do want to reinforce what we're already saying. In in a book that I really like, it's called Revolutionary Parenting, put out by the Barna Research Group. In their research, they found that in the typical American household, the typical time that parents and children spend in meaningful dialogue is less than 15 minutes a day. Less than 15 minutes a day, the typical American parent spends in meaningful dialogue or conversation with their children. But in households that that raised what the Barna Group calls spiritual champions, who raised young people that loved God with all their hearts, they found that in those houses, the typical parents spent between 90 and 120 minutes in 
a given day in parent-child dialogue. 15 minutes versus 90 to 120 minutes. Here's one quote from the book. Adult children, that is adult spiritual champion children, stated that it was the extensive time spent studying the Bible as a family that made the greatest difference in their emergence as dedicated followers of Christ and advocates of Scripture. Again, the research just backs up what God has already told us. That if we are going to sharpen our children, if we are going to shanon our children, shape them, teach them diligently, then we have to continually, habitually, intentionally repeat over and over and over and over again what God's Word says. So here are five tips for letting Scripture shape the language of our home. Number one, memorize and recite Scripture as a family. Again, you you don't have to memorize and recite whole chapters or whole books, although there are many people that have done exactly that. I went to a camp one time, and I was teaching Bible class there, and we had some portions of Philippians that we wanted the kids to memorize and recite. Two of our kids had been learning at home, and they recited the entire book of Philippians, a brother and a sister. Does it tell you what's important in that house? Memorize and recite Scripture as a family. In my family, we've been working on Psalm 19 and verse 14. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, The boys don't get a sticker on a chart for memorizing that, although there's nothing wrong with a sticker and a chart. But I want them to memorize that because I want them to pray that. I want those conversations that we have about what does it mean to ask God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I want us as a family to have so many conversations about passages of Scripture like that, that it shapes them. Because I know one way or another, our conversations are going to shape them. Either the unspiritual conversations that we have or the spiritual conversations that we have. I have to decide as the father what kind of conversations we'll be having in our home. Number two, discipline in light of scripture. When we, when we discipline our children, when we, when we discipline ourselves, you parents discipline yourself. We need to, don't we? Discipline ourselves. It's called self-discipline, right? When we, when we say this was wrong, And you did what was wrong, or I did what was wrong. When I fly off the handle and I I get mad and I lose my temper, I've got to go to my children and to my wife and say, what I did was wrong. Not just because it hurts your feelings. What I did was wrong because it wasn't showing the fruit of the Spirit. It wasn't full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. When I discipline myself or I discipline my children, I need to let Scripture shape that conversation. If I'm going to tell somebody what you did was wrong, or I'm going to tell myself what I did was wrong, then I need to allow Scripture to be the one to define what is right and what is wrong. Number three, encourage in light of Scripture. When we see somebody doing something well, when we see something going on that is a good thing, 
Let's bring Scripture into the conversation, shouldn't we? Let's have a conversation about, good job, way to go. I love to see you doing that. That's a good thing. Keep up the good work. That's a conversation that's ripe for an opportunity to allow Scripture to shape that conversation. Number four, brainstorm in light of Scripture. In other words, make plans in light of Scripture, whether they're big plans or they're what are we going to do this weekend kind of plans. Let's let Scripture shape and be a part of that conversation. Number five, discuss television, movies, current events in light of Scripture. You watch the news? You got the news on in your house? can't stand that stuff sometimes, but if you see something on the news and you're going to discuss something on the news, let Scripture help shape that conversation. If you watch a movie together as a family and you see something good, then discuss it in light of Scripture. You, you watch a movie and you see something bad. There's plenty of that to go around. And you, you can let Scripture shape that conversation. Because our families are being shaped by our everyday conversation. Your family is being shaped by everyday conversations. My family is being shaped by everyday conversations. The the families down the street are being shaped by everyday conversations. The things they repeat day in and day out, sometimes without even thinking about it. But as God's covenant people, we have to realize that our conversations have a purpose. The purpose of our family conversations is to shanon, is to sharpen, is to train diligently, is to repeat over and over and over and over again, this is who God is, this is who we are, and this is what the Lord has said. And we need to talk about it. When we sit in our house, when we walk along the way, or drive along the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up, We need to be a people whose conversations are Scripture-rich and not Scripture-lacking because our everyday conversations are shaping our families. But here's the main thing. The main thing is this. I do want my boys to grow up to be Christians. I want them to want to be a part of the covenant people of God. But I want them to understand that being a part of the covenant people of God... It's not something you do by your own merit. None of us are God's people because we're good enough to be God's people. We're not God's people because we kept all the rules, because we crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. We're not God's people because we went down a checklist and checked off every little thing to become a part or to stay a part of God's covenant people. I want my children to understand that you can be a part of God's covenant people only by grace through faith, that Jesus shed his blood to cover over the sins, that's what atone means, to cover over the sins of his covenant people. And you become part of that covenant people by putting your faith in Jesus, by being buried with Jesus in baptism, saying, I trust you to take away my sins and to add me to your covenant family, Lord. I I want my children, and I want this congregation, and I want the lost to know that if we're going to be a part of God's covenant people, then it's all about faith. It's all about the way that our father, Abraham, was justified. 
by faith. He put his faith in God's promises and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And we are God's covenant people by God's grace through faith. And that's what we need to be impressing upon the hearts of our children. That's what we need to be impressing upon our own hearts. That needs to shape the conversation that goes on here and the conversation that goes on at home. Why? And how are we God's covenant people? And if we are God's covenant people, how shall we live? Let's have those kind of conversations in here and out there from the the time we get up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night. Whether we're traveling or we're staying, whether we're going or coming, let's have conversations that are filled and shaped by Scripture because these conversations are shaping us and shaping our families. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that isn't yet a part of God's people. Your sins haven't been covered over or washed away or forgiven because you're separated from God. We beg you to put your faith in Jesus, to allow His grace and His mercy, the blood of Jesus, to cover over you and to wash your sins away and add you to God's family, to be God's child, to be raised up from that water of baptism, to walk in a new life where we ask, what shall I do, Lord? I want to do Your will. If we can help you to make that decision, you just need prayers or encouragement. We're in this together. There's not a single one of us that are doing it perfectly. We need, desperately need, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't hesitate to ask for prayers or ask for encouragement. The elders are going to meet with people in the prayer room after services, or you can come forward. We want to help you any way we can. Come forward now as we stand and sing.